are tuned to Community Powered Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, August 19th, 2021. It's 6 o'clock and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendoza. Tonight's California report begins with updates about both the Caldor Fire in El Dorado County and the Dixie Fire burning in Butte, Plumas, and Lassen counties. Then, Lily Jamali talks with San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank President Mary Daly. After a brief look at regional news and weather, we'll listen to a slightly different Bravehearts. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin with the latest on wildfires burning across Northern California. The Caldor Fire in El Dorado County, southwest of Lake Tahoe, continues to burn out of control. It scorched more than 62,000 acres so far with no containment by firefighters. Cal Fire Operations Chief Eric Schwab says crews are doing their best to protect communities along Highway 50. There is no spot across 50. Um, I will tell you, though, it's literally a couple hundred yards um, from 50, um, pretty much at Ice House Road. And we have holding resources there. It's a, it's a huge priority of mine to keep uh, the fire on, on the south side of Highway 50. More than 20,000 residents of El Dorado County remain evacuated from their homes, and evacuation warnings have been extended to parts of Amador County as well. With the fire still so active, inspection crews haven't been able to assess all the damage, but the fire did consume much of the town of Grizzly Flats in the Sierra foothills, destroying several homes and businesses there. And the state's largest wildfire, the Dixie Fire, continues to threaten some communities in the north state, although winds pushed the fire away from the town of Susanville in Lassen County yesterday. Part of the city is under a mandatory evacuation order. The fire is still posing a major threat to the town of Janesville. Crews there were finally able to use fixed-wing aircraft in the area after the smoke cleared. Cal Fire Battalion Chief Mark Brunton says the neighboring community of Milford has also been affected. The initial impact that took place from the, uh, the spot fire the other day uh, and the erratic fire behavior that we experienced that burned to 395 and across 395, uh, did it result in some uh, loss of structures. But Brunton says most have been outbuildings and crews haven't been able to provide a full assessment of the damage in that town. Although thousands remain evacuated, some residents in Lake Almanor and in Chester have been able to return home. The fire has burned more than 662,000 acres. Support for the California report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. There was a sell-off in the stock market yesterday on news that policymakers at the U.S. Federal Reserve are talking about, and bear with me here, tapering their purchases of bonds and other assets. 
Translation, pandemic-era support for the economy, which has kept interest rates super low all this time, well, it's not going away, but it might soon slow down some. The news broke around the time that I was taking a walk around the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank with its president, Mary Daly. As one of those policymakers, her outlook on the labor market is helping shape these decisions. And that's where we began our conversation. We're in, moving in a really positive direction. I am, you know, I, I say it this way, I'm bullish about the, the recovery. I see us really gaining momentum. Employers want to hire. They really want to hire. Workers are coming back in as they feel it's safe to do so. A big thing happening in the Bay Area, across the country as well, across California, is kids are going back to school. Oh, yeah. This is a huge, this is a game changer where it allows yeah. people to, to re-engage in coming back to work because they have their kids being taken care of. Yeah. So I think that's going to be critical for the labor market. I expect the labor market to continue to grow, to continue to gain momentum mm -hmm. uh, over the course of the fall. The Delta variant is this wild card, but I don't see it derailing our growth as much as just tempering the pace. You know, one of the things about this neighborhood that we're in, in downtown, we're in the financial district of San Francisco. I worked here after the dot-com bubble burst in 2002. Oh, wow. So did I. And if you recall, it was really dead down here. It was. And I wonder, you know, how is this recovery different than that one or the one that took place after the Great Recession? That's a fantastic question, and, and it is really different. After the dot-com bust, after the Great Recession, there was just a long period of time when there was no even interest in activity. So you were waiting for the activity to start. Mm -hmm. What I see now is it's really as goes COVID, so goes the economy. Mm -hmm. So as people get vaccinated, as people are allowed to come back out, as they gain confidence that it's safe to do so, I've seen this surge in activity. And my, one of my, my best metrics is really when I drive across the bridge, you can see when the pandemic was uh, in full motion, all the lights of the apartment building as I came across the bridge were dark. People had moved, they had left, the businesses were closed. And then over each month, I see more lights on. Mm. So now when I come at five or six in the morning, I see people going to the gym, walking their dogs, lights are on in the buildings, businesses are opening so that people can engage in the activities. And that's a really positive sign. And it happened, the snapback has been much more quick, mm -hmm. much quicker snapback than we saw in either the dot-com or, uh, or the Great Recession. So this is good news for the economy. It means people are wanting to come back. And so getting the health right, getting the COVID, the full COVID behind us, that's the essential agreement. And might not feel like this right now, but this pandemic will one day be over. How do you think the job market is going to be different? Will it have permanently changed when we're on the back end? I think it will have permanently changed. I actually hope it has permanently changed. <laughs> because one of the key things that could come out of this is that we have an opportunity to build the workplace we want. That people can stop thinking about work life trade-offs. What if we had a system where it wasn't a work-life trade-off, it was a work-life integration? Well, what would that look like? Well, that would mean people who work in a hybrid model. Employers would understand this really increases productivity. Employees would say, wow, I don't have to trade going to this meeting to against my son or daughter's soccer game. Mm -hmm. That would be a world where I think we would be far better off. We'd be more inclusive because if you had to take care of children, you wouldn't have to say, I need to forego the workforce.
That was Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. We'll have more from our conversation on tomorrow's show. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, August 19th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. The Nevada County Coronavirus Dashboard is showing 54 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 630 cases are active, 24 are hospitalized. Sadly, Nevada County reports another death today. Including yesterday's fatality, Nevada County has now lost 81 community members. Ubinet.com is reporting that the search for Chase Chittock continues in the Penn Valley area. According to Ubinet, Chase is described as four feet tall, a white juvenile with a medium complexion. He weighs 60 pounds and has brown and blonde hair. He was last seen wearing a neon green shirt and brown pants. If you see Chase or have any additional information, please contact the Nevada County Sheriff's Dispatch Center at 530-265-7880. In regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight widespread haze, otherwise mostly clear, with a low around 62. Friday will be hazy after 11 a.m., but it will be sunny with a high near 86. Tomorrow's AQI will be 162, unhealthy. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight widespread haze before 11 p.m. and partly cloudy with a low around 43. Tomorrow, expect widespread haze and smoke after 11 a.m. Friday will be sunny with a high near 78. Tomorrow's AQI for the region will be 63, moderate. And for Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, widespread haze before 11 p.m., then mostly clear with a low around 60. Friday will be sunny but hazy after 11 a.m., and there will be a high of 90 degrees. The AQI for the valley tomorrow is expected to be 124, unhealthy for sensitive groups. Next, let's listen to a slightly different Bravehearts. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Betty Louise, one of the producers of the project. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts. Where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise. And these are the Bravehearts. Hi, Betty Louise. Thanks for talking with me. I really enjoy listening to Bravehearts every Thursday. It's a wonderful segment. I was hoping you could talk to me about how it all began. Thanks, Claudia, and I'm glad you asked that question. Um, It was inspired. I've been working on this community project around homelessness since about 2015. And we were catching stories. There's even a segment on 
KVMR's website called Story Catchers. And that's uh, a project that my business partner, Susan Davis, and I did back in 2015, 2016, and 17. And William Wallace was a part of that project. We caught his story at one point. So fast forward to, I guess it was 2020. I get lost with the with the lost year there, but he came up with this idea to do a podcast where you wanted to talk to homeless people and also talk to the organizations in this county that work with homeless people because he had had a lot of experience with that and he became like a peer counselor. And so he wanted to let people know. So he approached me about the, the whole idea of doing a, this podcast and we worked with KVMR and this is what we came up with, this short podcast called Brave Hearts. And William came up with that name too, which I just love that name and because it so captures the people that are out there living on the streets, you know, they really have brave hearts to even do that. And the organizations that are working with those people, they're, they're all amazingly compassionate people, which is one of the things that I've learned. So William is really the brilliance behind it. And he asked me to assist him. And then with this crazy world, you know, he just found he needed to step away for a while. So, you know, you still right now hear his beautiful radio voice in the intro and outro. And hopefully we'll have him back again sometime. How has the homeless community reacted to the project? Do you find it easy to talk to people or have you experienced some resistance? Well, I don't talk with anyone who doesn't want to share their story. And, you know, some people want to share their story and some people don't. But those that want to share their story, they're often wanting people to understand them more and to explain you know, how they ended up this way. As a matter of fact, uh, a series of brave hearts that's coming up is with this woman I spoke with last night. She's a Harvard grad and she lives in her car and she doesn't want help to find four walls because she just finds it too limiting and she wants the freedom of living in her car. She, you know, thinks the world's pretty crazy at this point and so she's made that work and what she wants to do is get a nicer car that's what she's saving for she has no interest in living inside now she's somebody you would never know she was homeless if you saw her on the street and you know, she dresses really nicely and but yeah the, and that's really another thing that you learn when you listen to these stories is that they're so different they're so different. You know, it's just like those of us that live in homes. You know, we all have these very different stories, too. People on the street are human beings, too. And I tell you what, that's what Trina said to me last night. She said, what I want from the community is to treat me with respect and as a human being. What impact do you want Brave Hearts to have on the listener? What do you want listeners to take with them after listening to the segment? Well, I'll. I'll you know, hearken back to William once again. Um, I think he even says it on the arch, on the outro of, you know, be well and be kind. You know, kindness, we hear it all the time. Dalai Lama talks about it. You know, kindness goes a long 
way. And I, I have to tell you that I, my first real experience with homelessness here in Nevada County was I was walking my sister's dog behind Rayleigh's here in Grass Valley, and the rain started to pour down. And all of a sudden, all these people started to, to set up encampments on the hill there. They were holding chairs over their heads, you know, to keep dry from the rain. And I said to Shambo, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is scary. And then as I went a little further on, it's like I thought, scary? Shambo and I are going back to, you know, a nice, dry, warm place where we can make some food. And it just really impacted me when I went from scared to compassion so quickly. And so, you know, that I, I don't want people to be afraid of homeless people any more than they're afraid of somebody else that lives in a home that may have some scary aspects of themselves. So, you know, just to really under, have a deeper understanding of homeless people and also about these incredible people doing great work in the county. That sounds like quite the experience. Thank you for sharing that with us. I was wondering if you could tell us how else this project has affected you. What have you learned? Mm, yeah. I mean, my perceptions have shifted greatly about homeless people, of course, since, since I started working with them. And now many of them are my friends. And so really getting to know people and listening to their stories and now listening is an easy word to say, not always so easy to do. It's quite a skill, actually. So we often think about what we want to say or our reactions or our judgments instead of actually really listening to this person. So I've learned a whole lot about listening and how powerful stories can be. And then, you know, the other thing I'll just note here is I am so impressed with the, the organizations in this county that are working with homeless people. And many of them hire people who have had some experience of homelessness so that the empathy is like built in. And I was just really, really impressed by that. And as I continue to, to talk with these organizations, I'm sure I'll... I'll find even more things that I, um, that I really appreciate about it. I've been talking with Betty Louise, one of the producers of Brave Hearts. Betty Louise, thanks for your work on Brave Hearts and for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thanks, Claudia. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk. Observations from a Working Poet Watching a TV show last night made me want to get married. Something about the ending being tragic and exquisitely well done 
not the stupid, hollow, melodramatic finales we usually see, but simple and devastating. I woke this morning from a dream in which I was holding someone's hand. When I say get married, that's not what I actually mean. It's my generation's code for being a long-term committed partnership with someone I love, which is too long to say. I have many thoughts about literal marriage, and most are uncomplimentary. I don't need to go into them here. But what it might mean to hold someone's hand, the knuckles and pads of the fingers familiar, comforting, the expanse of palm, to feel that casual and meaningful human connection again, seemed precious to me, who hasn't thought about holding hands in years. Life is incredibly complicated. I should probably just end here, right? You know what I mean. Everything has background, context, and history. People don't know themselves or know all too well. We build our lives alone and together. We change, fail and succeed, make do, make hay while the sun shines, hurt and care for each other. All the things, the great big human mess. I'm not telling you which TV show. I don't want to spoil it. But in a hospital hallway, exhausted, one character asks another to marry him. They're sitting in those awful molded plastic bucket chairs that are welded together in groups of four, like industrial church pews, so they're side by side, not able to turn toward each other. It's unexpected in the plot and far from any idealized proposal scenario. Neither of them is beautiful or young. It's a minor scene between a main character and an ancillary one and doesn't last long. She asks if he's serious, and he says, completely. She leans back in her chair and after a pause turns her head toward him and says something like, yeah, or okay. I loved how ordinary it was, stripped of romance but loaded with feeling, coming from someone who maybe had thought about proposing but wasn't ready or wasn't sure or hadn't had time to plan it yet. It was so symbolic, blurted out like that, probably why it moved me so much. Maybe we're all in a hospital hallway right now, not waiting out a surgery on someone we love, but caught in that same vivid mix of uncertainty, dread, realistic prognosis, and hope against hope. The climate, the fires, the virus, the future. And I'm suddenly thinking, I don't want to do this alone, even though I've been alone for ages, even though I already briefly sort of had a love of my life, and are we allowed more than one? Lately, I hear people saying, and I've even said it myself, we don't get what we want or what we deserve. We get what we get. Today, this seems both true and oversimplified. What if we don't see what we have? What are we not recognizing that's right beside us? And what if we get what we ask for? What then? Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for tonight, Thursday, August 19th, 2021. 
we get support from Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company in Nevada City, a craft brewery, artisan bakery, and farm-to-table restaurant, utilizing local seasonal produce for organic soups, sandwiches, salads, and wood-fired pizzas. Open 8 to 8, Wednesday through Monday. ThreeForksNC.com and Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays, 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. Stick around. Money Matters is coming up next, followed by Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great evening. A brief follow-up. According to Nevada County Sheriff's Office, 10-year-old Chase Chidock was found and has been reunited with his family.